through uh, Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of Jesus Christ. It's a film that's not out in the cinema here, but it's out in, in America. It came out, I think it was Wednesday of last week. Very controversial film, and I look forward to seeing that. It depicts the last 12 hours of Jesus' life. But there is another film that was released nine days ago. I don't know if you know the name of this film. I understand it's in the cinema here. It's only in one cinema, and it's only been out for just over a week. And as far as I know, hardly anybody's going to see this film. The name of the film is called Man Dancing. Has anybody seen that film? Put your hands up if you've seen that film. Nobody's seen that film. Uh, I was surprised when Peter Granger, our senior pastor, mentioned that that film too is. It's in Fountain Bridge. And it's a film, it's, it's called a religious film, you could say. And uh, it's, a, it's called a crime thriller. I think it's rated f- uh, 15, I'm not too sure. There's people from EastEnders in it and so forth. And Norman Stone is the, is the director. And somebody asked Norman Stone this, this question. He says, will people make the connection between your film and the Mel Gibson film? And Norman Stone, the director, said this. I've said to the people who work with him, who work with Mel Gibson, consider my film the aperitif, and you can do the main meal. In other words, it's a religious film. It doesn't profess to be in the same grand scale as, as the passion of Jesus Christ. But it's a film about a man who has a, a, a dramatic change in his life. Uh, I, I've never seen the film, and I'm gathering as much as I can, as much information on this, but I gather it's about a man who has become a, a, a Christian, perhaps. It was filmed in, in Glasgow uh, in the winter of 2002, so it's off to a good start already. Uh, and a rough place, Glasgow in the winter is pretty bleak. Uh, so it was filmed there, and it's about a, a hard man called Jimmy Kerrigan, and after spending some time in a prison in Northern Ireland, uh, the impression is given that he's been converted. He's certainly been changed. And as he comes back to Glasgow, uh, he meets some of his old colleagues, or his old criminal mates, and so forth. And uh, he's, he'd been in prison for gun running. But now he's come back, he's changed. And folk view him with great suspicion. They think, well, has he really changed? What is the difference? And part of his probation is that one of the, the local priests uh, cajole him into to taking part in a play about the passion of Jesus Christ. And he reluctantly agrees to this, and there are prostitutes, and as the film trailer says, there are chancers and everybody, all these wasters come, and they're part of the, this play in the, this church. And what happens through this is people's lives are being changed as they encounter Jesus Christ, a bit like uh, Mel Gibson's film, although in a, in a smaller scale. When the, the, the director, Norman Stone, was interviewed, he, he was asked this question, how do you think reviewers will view this film? And uh, he says this, I embraced for broad criticism from one or two sources. It dares to talk about God without flinching. It's going to be anathema to some critics because they're not used to having God on their patch. In other words, so he recognizes in presenting something about God, people are going to reject this. And he says this, I'm not afraid of mentioning God as an ordinary subject of conversation. I'm gung-ho about it, and I think it works. And he talks about the public already received this. He said a few standing ovations wherever this film has been shown. And it's interesting, none of us as Christians here have been to see this film. 
He says it doesn't fit with the chattering classes. Uh, It's not politically correct, which is wonderful because he says, I don't think Christianity should be politically correct. And then he goes on to say, it's not a religious film. It's a social film. It's a gangster film. It doesn't duck the issues. It's a passion play. But it very specifically involves God. And he was asked what motivated him to make this picture about this man, this hard man, who was changed. And he, and he was reminded, he says, well, your father was a preacher, and your grandfather was a preacher. And he says, that's true. Both of them were preachers, evangelists, and pastors. And uh, he says, I don't have any of those gifts, but I am a Christian. And that gives me a perspective on the world and life, and, as I, and, and it helps him in everything he does in life. And that's why he's happy to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why he's come up with this film called Man Dancing. And one critic says, it will come and go uh, in the same way with a whimper. Indeed, I I was hearing that the cinema, unless people go to see this film, they'll just take it off the screens altogether. So uh, I encourage you, if nothing else, to see what it's about. Maybe it's, it's not very clear. But the reviews in the film is this. The BBC says this, says this. A gangster gets religion in this above-average Scottish thriller. The BBC were presented with it and threw the whole thing out. They didn't want to know. But it's above-average Scottish thriller. Some folks say, another review says, it's corny at times, cliched at others, and so forth. It's weird, charmless, and a cliched drama. In other words, it's a film about what God can do in people's lives. A God who is real, a God who changes people's lives. And the simple truth is this. We live in a society today that just is sceptical about this. Sceptical about God. Sceptical about a, a God, a Saviour who is real and who can have an impact on each one of our lives. So I commend the film to you. This evening we're going to look at a biblical conversion. We're not looking at this man's conversion. Uh, I'll leave that to you if you want to go and see the film. But the Bible has various biblical accounts of people who have been changed, who have an, had an encounter with God. There are people probably sitting next to you. There are many people in this building who have a testimony. And in small churches, I used to like pouncing in people and say, well, brother so-and-so is going to come up now and tell us how they became a Christian. And they come with knees knocking and so forth. And they tell how God has changed their life. Very real. And yet some people are still skeptical. In Acts chapter 9, you read of the conversion of the Apostle Paul, a very gifted intellectual, very religious man, very well taught, but didn't know Jesus. He persecuted Christians. And then he, his life was changed in a very dramatic way. Maybe sometime, something like this man here. He met Jesus. He met the Lord. His eyes was opened. He saw the truth about Jesus. And his life was changed from then on in. The simple truth is this. In February the 29th, 2004, God is real. He changes lives. He's interested in people. He's interested in coming into people's lives and changing them for good. Not only in this life, but ultimately in the life to come. He is, is such a God. And here we have the testimony of an Ethiopian eunuch. Let me tell you something about his background. First of all, we see he was an important official. We are told us in verse 27 that this man was an important official. It says that there, in charge of all the treasury of Kandathi, queen of the Ethiopians. He's a bit like Gordon Brown, perhaps. He sees 
He's a high government official. He's important. He's somebody. He travels in a chariot and so forth. So, so he is really quite an influential man. And uh, he's uh, answerable to this queen or this dynasty of, of, of queens and so forth. So he is somebody who is important. He is also a eunuch. And it's interesting to note that. It's very important to note that. And uh, as a male in the royal household, uh, often... Uh, such people had to be castrated, uh, which meant their testicles were removed. I say that because some Christians, when I do marriage classes, it's just amazing how naive some people are. But that's what happened, and that's where this man is. He has been castrated. And, uh, and I know what you're saying. Well, here's a story of, a, of an Ethiopian who has been castrated. I have a lot in common with this man. Uh, at last, a sermon for me. Uh, finally, there's somebody who's just re- ready for me. But, as I look at this passage, there are very important lessons that we can learn. And that's what I want you to, to look at this evening. Whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, whether you're here as a visitor, whether you've been coming and so forth, but uh, you, you're, you're not a Christian, you've never really given your life to the Lord. The Lord does not look on the things that man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And God has worked in the life of this man to change him and send him, send him home rejoicing. So let's look at this man. Let's look at his conversion. Let's look at how he was changed. So the first thing we see is this. We can learn from the passage. He was a fearer of God or a God-fearer. It's very difficult to determine from Luke's account here in this passage that we read uh, the, the, the connection between this Ethiopian eunuch's relation to Judaism. But we are told that, that, that he was, was going from, uh, he was up at Jerusalem, he was worshipping there, that, that we are told, and, and therefore we can gather that, that he had an awareness of God, he knew God in, in a measure. But it is very difficult to know from first century, century Judaism the part that this man would have played as a eunuch in Judaism. It's, it's very difficult to know exactly uh, how he would have been able to worship because we are told that the law excluded from public worship people who have been self-mutilated uh, because this was often a sign of worshipping a, a heathen god and therefore if somebody had been castrated or had been injured in some way, they weren't allowed to worship fully as, as Jews were. And partly because any maimed creature was deemed unfit for the service of Yahweh. And this is found in Deuteronomy 23 verse 1. No one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting may enter the assembly of the Lord. And yet this man, uh, this eunuch, went to Jerusalem. And we are told in Isaiah, however, that this ban was, was later removed. Let me read to you Isaiah let no foreigner who has bound himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let not any eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons or daughters, obviously, as they couldn't have sons or daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will never or will not be cut off. So here we see this Ethiopian eunuch, 
And it could be that he was, he was a eunuch in every sense, that he was castrated. Or it could be that, that he was a eunuch which just represented some high government or political figure. It was the same in, in uh, often high people in military circles were often castrated as well. But here we see this man and uh, he was attracted to Judaism. And he chose this as his religion, you could say. But because he is in the position he, he was in, it was possibly the case that he wasn't allowed to, to completely embrace part of, uh, if you weren't a Jew, you could be a proselyte. Uh, you weren't a Jew by birth, but you could buy into Judaism, as it were. You could become involved as a proselyte. And admission to be a proselyte was circumcision. If you were a man, you had to be circumcised, then baptized, and you had to offer a sacrifice if you wanted to be involved in Judaism as a proselyte. For women, it wasn't quite as drastic. You just had to be baptized and you just had to offer a sacrifice. That's why most women uh, bought into Judaism than men. The whole circumcision thing uh, was rather painful, and therefore many people did not do this. But this man did this. He was interested in Judaism. And it was perhaps, possibly for that reason, that when he is changed, you remember later on when he sees water, and he says, here is water. What's to stop me from being baptized now? Perhaps as a eunuch, he wasn't able to take full involvement in worship at Judaism because he was a eunuch. He wasn't a full proselyte. Uh, he wasn't able to buy in completely and therefore was only able to observe from a distance. The simple truth is this. Many people come to church and they hear of Christians, they hear of them becoming church members, and they hear them praying, they, they hear of having answers prayers, and they seem to be outside looking in as it were. They, they want to know more. They would love to have more of what others have, a joy and a peace, uh, answers to prayer, just the way in which the Lord seems to be so close to them. But they seem to be distant. They seem to be outside looking. And that was certainly my case when I went to church before I was a Christian. I went for two, I think it was two years before I became a Christian. And I could see that people had something that I didn't have. But yet I loved God. I was a fearer of God like this man. I, I didn't believe in just some higher power. I believed that there was a God uh, as best as I could. I didn't know him. I didn't know much about him. Uh, but I, I was eager to know more. Perhaps you are here and this is your position. Perhaps you're just dragged here and, and you can't wait till the time finishes. Perhaps you're here and uh, for a long time now, uh, you do feel that you're outside looking in like this man perhaps. I'm not saying you're a eunuch, but you've not been allowed to participate fully in what Christians do. Uh, you've not bought in to the whole Christian thing. And uh, therefore you feel excluded in that way. And therefore perhaps you do have something in common with this man. You do fear God, but as yet you cannot say you're a Christian. Because there's many questions you have. There's many things that you do not understand. And therefore perhaps you resemble this man more than you know. Perhaps you too are a fearer of God, but as I say, you're not able to participate fully as perhaps this man was as well. So secondly, we see that he was not only a fearer of God, but he was a follower of God. And we see, first of all, we can see this is true because he was reading the Scriptures. Look at verse 28. On his way home from Jerusalem, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah 
the prophet. We do not know uh, why he was reading Isaiah. Uh, we simply do not know this. Perhaps he was doing some personal reading, personal study, or perhaps this was the passage that was read in, in, in Jerusalem. And on the way back, he's, he's going, going into it in more detail, trying to find out a wee bit more about it. Perhaps he was not unlike the people that you meet in the New Testament, the Bereans, where we read, the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the Scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. In other words, they, uh, they looked at the Scriptures after the meeting was finished, after 8 o'clock or whatever it is we finished. They were still looking at the Scriptures, such people, the Bereans and this man as well. And that is a sign of somebody who is following after God. Even when they do not fully know God, they are seeking God and, and searching for Him. This was certainly my testimony. I read a book on Billy Graham and I was reading through the Gospel of John uh, in my search for God. Those were the two books that I was reading. And, uh, and all I want to ask you is, is, what do you do when the meeting is finished? Perhaps you're coming and you're thinking, well, I don't know. You know, I'd like what, what Jean has here or Harry has next to me. I've been coming for such a long time. I don't feel part of this. I, I do feel as if I'm the outside looking in. I feel excluded. I would like to know more. I do fear God, but really, I don't know much more. But then when you leave this place, really, that's, that's uh, your commitment gone. And there's no picking up the Bible. There's no inquiring about reading uh, the Word of God and so forth. Whereas this man did. The meeting was finished. If this was today, he could have been sitting in his chariot watching DVD on the way home because he's a high important official. He would have all mod cons. But what's he doing? He's still reading the Scriptures. He's still reading a portion of Scripture that he doesn't understand. He's reading the book of Isaiah. I would challenge you uh, if you can say, yes, you're a fearer of God, to take it that one step further and become a follower of God. Begin to seek after God. And this man was reading the Scriptures. We also know he was a, a follower of God because he was open to instruction. Verse 31. Philip was, was told to go alongside the chariot and by the Holy Spirit, and he hears this man reading, because that was a custom in that time, to, to read the Scriptures loud, to read them audibly, and therefore he could hear what the man was reading, he was reading in Isaiah, and he asks the man, do you understand what you're reading? And the man in, in the Greek really implies here a, a form of mild rebuke, as if to say, are you crazy? How can I possibly understand this, unless somebody explains it to me? And... Uh, he was open to instruction. He recognized his ignorance and was keen to know more. He was keen for somebody to explain to them. I want to ask you, in your search or feeling that, that, that you don't understand who Jesus was or you're not convinced, do you ask questions? Do you read, as this man was doing, outside the meeting? Do you ask questions? Do you say to somebody, can you explain to me what this is all about? I'll tell you, if you come up to a Christian and ask them that, You'll shock them, first of all. You'll embarrass them if they don't know how to explain it. But you'll thrill them. Overall, you will thrill them. To have somebody come up and say, you know, what does this mean? You'll just thrill their soul to give them the opportunity to tell them, tell you something about the passage that, that, that you have a, a question with. Are you open to instruction? This man was. He could have said, 
go away. Don't bother me. I'm reading this. Can you not see? I'm just, it's just me and the word of God here. He was keen to know more. Who is the prophet speaking about? Is it about himself or about somebody else? He had questions. So he was open to instruction. He had questions. So he was seeking and following God. Thirdly and lastly, he was a finder of God. He found God on this, this trip from Jerusalem. He obviously left Jerusalem not knowing much about Jesus Christ because Philip here has to explain it to him. He's had an encounter with Judaism, but it's not satisfied him and his needs. But now he is a finder of God, and I'm thinking here of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus Christ, God himself. He has been converted, you could say, to Christianity. He has come to a better understanding of the Old Testament, and particularly of who Jesus is. Now I want you to notice very quickly four things that happened to this man in his conversion. First of all, what led to his conversion was this. What led to his finding the truth about God? First of all, we see in verse 35, he was told the good news about Jesus Christ. Very plainly, that's what we are told. In verse 35, Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. He was reading in Isaiah 53. And it's no wonder that he would be confused because here is speaking about suffering. Somebody who is suffering, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And, and in Judaism, certainly during this time, there was no concept of a Messiah, somebody coming to deliver his people by suffering, by dying. And, and therefore, it wouldn't have naturally leapt out at them, oh, this must mean Jesus, somebody who died on the cross. It, it would have been very, very foreign to him, so it's no wonder he didn't know. But Philip took him from this passage and began to explain to him the good news. He would have said something, you look at verse 32, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter. We don't know exactly what he said, but without doubt he would have said, spoken something about the holiness of God, that God is holy, and in the Old Testament, you couldn't just approach God in any way. You had to bring a sacrifice, a sacrifice that God had ordained, a lamb, a sheep, and it had to be spotless. And the, this animal was sacrificed in, in place of you and I, and, uh, and the wrath of God was removed from us. But all these were ultimately pointing to Jesus Christ. John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. He would have said, Jesus is the Lamb of God. He is God's sacrifice, God's only provision for sin. And he would have heard this. He would have heard about the Old Testament Lamb, but the New Testament Lamb, about Jesus dying as a substitute for you and for me. And that's what makes it good news. That's what makes it good news. That's the good news about Jesus Christ. He died for you. He died for me. He would have heard this. He would have heard the way for his sins to be forgiven. He would have heard in verse 32 that his death was voluntary. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In other words, he willingly died. There is much talk about Mel Gibson's film. Was it the Jews who, who killed Jesus and so forth? When ultimately, if you know the scriptures, it was God's will. It was for God was pleased to bruise him. Why? Because it was the only way that you and I could be saved. It was out of love for you. It was out of love for me. 
Perhaps this eunuch, as I says, is feeling excluded. He has no family. And uh, he, he, he wants to be loved, perhaps, by God. And he's went to, to Ju- uh, Jerusalem. He's come back and so forth. And perhaps he still feels empty. And here he's hearing the good news about Jesus. That Jesus loved him enough to die for him. And that's what this man is hearing. He's hearing about Jesus as a lamb led to the slaughter, willingly dying for you and for me. And I hope, I've never seen Mel Gibson's film, but I hope in some way that's communicated with all the blood and all the gore, that his life wasn't taken from him, but his life was given up in that sense. He voluntarily laid his life down for you and for me. And that is the good news. He was humiliated. Look at verse 33. He who was in heaven's glory came to this earth and uh, his life was taken by man. But it was ultimately God's will. So he was told the good news about Jesus and then he was converted. He says, here is water. He was changed. What hinders me now? Now I can enter into, into God's family. Now I can be fully accepted by God. I want to be baptized. He would probably never have said this if he was already baptized as a proselyte. But as I says, he probably wasn't because he had been castrated. And uh, therefore, he was always on the outside looking in. But now he feels, what can stop me? What can stop me from being baptized? When a Christian is baptized, they are publicly saying to, to, to the world, I am a Christian. I am a believer. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I want to die to self as I go under the water and live a new life. I'm different. My sins have been forgiven. And this man wants this. He was perhaps not allowed to join the church before. But now he believes. Now he has embraced the good news and he wants to be baptized. He meets the requirements. He wants to be part of God's family. He has a thirdly a confession of faith. Verse 37 is taken out of of, of the Bible. Maybe you have it as a footnote because some of the later manuscripts uh, don't have this. But let me read to you in the footnote. Philip said, if you believe, because he says, why can't I be baptized? If you believe with all your heart, you may. The Philip uh, answered, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now whether that is in in the original, the very concept is biblical. For somebody when they believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, qualified for baptism. Believing with all his heart. He says, I believe with all my heart. I am changed. I am different. And so forth. Sonship. The, the, this, uh, Jesus Christ as the Son of God is acknowledged by the Father. This is my beloved Son. Even the angels testify. The Holy One to be born to Mary will be called the Son of God. Throughout the Scriptures, Jesus is known as the Son of God. If you are here this morning, that is Mark's reason for writing. He wants people to know that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe Mel Gibson as well in this film. He wants people to know that he is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And this man has embraced this. He has a confession of faith. He might not know various other things, but he knows this. Jesus, this man that Philip's been telling him about, is none other than the Son of God, the Saviour of the world. The good news that his sins can be forgiven. He has a confession and a confession of faith from the heart. And how does it all end? He is rejoicing. He is rejoicing. Look at uh, that verse, verse 39. 
when he came out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and Eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. This was no ordeal for him. He's not thinking, boy, he was a religious nutter, that guy. Uh, he says, wow, I'm changed. My life is, is different. And uh, he went on his way rejoicing. He'd found new life in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. You know when you believe, because your sins are forgiven. And he who is forgiven much, loves much. Do you love the Lord much? Do you know what it means to have your sins forgiven? It's, it's, it's the greatest experience to know that you're loved and cared for by God. That is good news. I want to just close with this note. Why did the Holy Spirit lead Philip to this man? This man was going on his way. He'd been to Jerusalem. He'd heard the sermon. Perhaps he was, he was reading his notes. He, he was reading Isaiah and maybe the passage that was read. We simply don't know, but he was on his way. He was reading the Word of God and he didn't know what it was about. He didn't know that this passage he was reading in Isaiah was about the Son of God, was about Jesus who had just died for his sins. He didn't know this. And if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit and Philip, he would have went on his way. And uh, it wouldn't have ended in rejoicing. But why did the Holy Spirit, because really that's, that's a key point, why did the Holy Spirit lead him to this, uh, to this man, lead Philip to this man? The Bible clearly teaches two things about God. The sovereignty of God. A God who is sovereign, who works all things out according to the counsel of his own will, who determines something and he brings it to pass. The scriptures are very clear on that. The scriptures are also very clear on human responsibility. Christians argue about these things. Uh, I don't know if you know that, but we, we, we emphasize one or we emphasize the other. And we say, well, you know, uh, God, some people would say, well, you know, God, Nobody can come to the Lord, and uh, really you need the Holy Spirit, and that is true. And then others saying, well, no, I don't know if it's that. Uh, perhaps it's up to you, it's purely up to you. You need to make the decision and so forth. The Lord has done all he can, and he just steps back and leaves it to you. The Scriptures te teach the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. And here I, I see, I must confess, as you toil with, with these, trying to marry these two things together, uh, can we make a decision to come to the Lord? Here we see a man who is seeking after God. And the Holy Spirit perhaps sees this and says to Philip, there's a man, he's reading Isaiah. Go alongside him. Speak to him. And it may be that, that you are seeking after God and you think, well, you've, you've been reading and studying and you cannot find him. Without doubt, you need the help of the Holy Spirit. You cannot see it yourself. My brother had two O-levels. He was a Christian before I did. He had one O-level. Sorry, I'm giving him, I'm boosting him up here. He had one O-level. I think it was home economics or something. Uh, I had A-levels. Uh, well, I'm feeling good just, just sharing this with you. Uh, and I thought I could find out God. He's gullible. He's, he's just, he, he doesn't know. But you can find out God. And the simple truth is you can't. You cannot. Man, God does not allow you to, to know him and to trample him underfoot and to walk away from him. But where God sees your heart, I believe, there was a verse, and uh, hopefully it will be on the screen, Jeremiah 29, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. That was a verse that, that really became a wee beacon for me in my search for God. For many years, 
and we're reading Billy Graham, his wee book, and, and reading the Gospel of John, and going to the occasional sermon service when it suited me, when I wasn't, wasn't out drinking and so forth. That was a wee beacon. Lord, you've said, I will seek, uh, if I seek you and find you, with all my heart, I will find you. Here is a man who was seeking after God. He went to Jerusalem. He, he wanted to find out more. He was a fearer of God. Traveled Jerusalem to worship. He was a follower of God because he, he, he sought to know more about God. He asked questions and so forth. And it is to such, it is to such people, it is given the grace to find God. You will not find God if you're not interested in the slightest. If you're here just warming the pew and you can't wait to go back and see what's on the telly tonight or get the high score in PlayStation 2, whatever game you bought at the weekend or whatever. What do you do after this meeting? That often determines the revelation that you will receive. You will seek me and you will find me, the Lord says, if you seek me with all your heart. Here is a man who was an Ethiopian eunuch, very important official, but perhaps excluded. But as he followed God, as he feared God, he found God. The Holy Spirit led somebody to just open his eyes to help him see the good news about Jesus Christ. I pray that you might be a seeker after God, after Christ, after truth. And I'm fully confident that if you do, and you live your life like this man did, you will find and you will know your sins will be forgiven and nobody will need to convince you you are a Christian. You will know the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news. May you come to know him as your own personal saviour. We're going to sing.